Welcome. You're listening to Activist NYC, the podcast on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Radio. I am your host, Cindy Trin. Activist NYC is an ongoing documentary photo project about activism and social justice movements in New York City. This podcast is an extension of my Activist NYC project and will include interviews with activists, organizers, and political leaders in our city. My goal is to learn about what motivates activists to do the hard work they dedicate their lives to and discuss the important issues surrounding the people of New York. Stay with us. My guest today is Abdullah Yunes from the New York Immigration Coalition. The NYIC envisions a New York state that is stronger because all people are welcome, treated fairly, and given the chance to pursue their dreams. Their mission is to unite immigrants, members, and allies so that all New Yorkers can thrive. Abdullah is the NYIC Director of Political Engagement, where he leads the organization's federal, state, and local legislative and policy campaigns to push for a more inclusive New York. Prior to joining the NYIC team, he was a strategic researcher at the United Auto Workers Union, where he fought for workers' protections at private universities. He was the field director for the Khader El Yatim campaign for New York City Council, and he has since worked on a number of electoral campaigns in a variety of capacities, with a focus on developing self-sustaining field infrastructure. Abdullah holds a Bachelor's of Science in Statistics from George Washington University. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Cindy. I'm really excited to see you again. So, um, full disclaimer, me and Abdullah know each other from organizing um, years ago back in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. That's right. I think we uh, we might have met at a Bay Ridge for Social Justice event. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Bay Ridge for Social Justice. Holding it down. Holding it down in South Brooklyn. And that and Bay Ridge was is a very interesting neighborhood in New York because it's, you know, been known to be tr- predominantly conservative and Republican, but um, this recent election, uh, uh, you know, it swung blue, right? That's right. Um, I think a lot of a lot of work has gone into making that happen, and now we're seeing the dividends. Um, you know, Bay Ridge is a predominantly Arab community, and it, it, they they haven't had the kind of representation that they deserve for years. And um, but by building power over the years, we've now gotten to a point where we can push back against some of that Republican sort of force. And that campaign with Elia team was uh, very, very historic, right? Yeah, yeah. So Khader Elia team, you know, he's a Palestinian, a Lutheran minister, someone who's been in the community for years and years, and he's he's running as a, a open socialist in city council. It's you know it was revolutionary, and um, we found that the Arab community comes together with the progressive community and we really, really pushed the envelope of what was possible and it set the stage for um, an activation in the Arab and Muslim community that allowed us to take all sorts of power in Congress and the State Senate and Assembly. Yeah, it was really, it was just really powerful how the community came together and how everyone 
um, showed up. And in a neighborhood that was predominantly conservative and Republican, and um, you know, it, it, it was very historic to me. And when I met you, I was so impressed with not only the fact that you are our future, by the way, like like you're you're young and you're so ambitious, and I felt like you know you're the type of person that I really like to see um, in the organizing world because we need first of all young people um, on the ground, and we need we need people like you more involved in politics and trying to get more young people involved in politics. So um, I just want to say I'm really grateful that you're here, by the way. And oh um, I'm, no, I'm really looking forward to this episode, really. Thank this you. is going to be a good one. Because um, we're going to talk a lot about, um, right now, what is happening in our country and the border crisis and the xenophobia and you know Donald Trump um, and his policies um, that are tearing families apart and putting kids in cages. I mean, there's so much to unravel. So this episode is gonna be really, really in-depth um, and I'm excited to have you here for it because I think you are such a wonderful person to talk to about, uh, you know, on this issue. So let's let's get into it. Let's 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 dive in, right? Um, so, how did you get involved with NYIC? How did you get your job there? Um, what brought you there? So, um, prior to this, as you mentioned, I was at the United Auto Workers uh, Union. We were working to get the Grad Workers Union at. Columbia and at Harvard universities recognized um, and the administration at the time was being intransigent and refusing to do that. I was brought on as a strategic researcher to help figure out how we could push that forward and uh, you know thanks to a lot of the organizing that had come before me and the organizing that was happening on the ground, um, you know students going on strike, etc. Um, that really pushed um, that campaign over the edge and it was recognized and we were successful. So after that was done, um, I started thinking, you know, I really enjoyed the fight and, you know, what's the next thing I can get involved in and that'll scratch that same itch and, you know, I'll know that I'm doing something that's really helpful to build the movement and a, f a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, I believe Murad, um, he said, hey, um, there's an opening at my organization. I can promise you that you're going to have fun. It's going to be a fun fight. And um, this was, and he sort of gave me this whole list of everything that the NYIC was working on. Stuff from, um, you know, Dream Act, driver's licenses, uh, the census, funding for legal services, education funding, all sorts of things. And I said, okay, I'm in, and then I interviewed and I got the job, and lo and behold, um, this was a little less than a year ago, we had an incredible session last year. I think much of the, the left and the progressive movement did, thanks to a remarkable shift in the legislature itself, and um, I had a hell of a time fighting for funding for the census and um, getting driver's licenses for undocumented people passed. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, and I've been to a number of actions and rallies, um, you know, organized by NYIC, and it always draws massive amounts of people. And the one that I can think of um, 
that really sti sticks out to me is um, that Battery Park action that NYIC organized um, in response to Donald Trump's Muslim ban. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, that was one of the largest marches in New York. I think it drew you know, tens of thousands of people um, that day. And I, I've always really looked up to you know, NYIC's work and, and what you're doing and um, all people involved. So I, congratulations on, on getting this position. I didn't even know that you worked there until now. So I'm really glad to see you, to see you there. Um, you deserve it, definitely. Thank you. Um, so, you know, where I really want to dive into, like, what brought you to this kind of work that you do today and um, you know, your, your history and your, and your, you know, family and where you grew up and everything. Like, and I think that a lot of us that do this kind of work, especially like, you know, immigration work, um, we're usually people, you know, coming from immigrant families, right? Or coming from, um, refugee families like myself. I came from a family of refugees. Um, you know, my parents came after the Vietnam War. Um, so, you know, tell me, like, where did you grow up and, like, what was your family like? What's your history? So, um, I was uh, born in Bay Ridge in Brooklyn um, uh, in, on 9-11-1990. Oh, wow. And uh, mm -hmm. um, when I was, I think, around one years old, one year old, uh, my folks moved us back to Pakistan. So me and my two older sisters moved with my family back to Pakistan and we lived there for about, you know, six, seven years in Lahore. And then we moved back to Brooklyn and I was in Bay Ridge again for um, three, four years. And then um, I went to this Muslim school. It was very interesting. And then after that, we moved out to Long Island. Um, and that's where I did the rest of my, um, you know, early schooling. And um, after high school was over, uh, I moved to D.C. Um, I went to college there, and then I would keep intermittently moving back to Brooklyn. I would live in Bay Ridge. And um, after school was done, that's also where I settled. My family, my folks are still out in Long Island. Um, some of the siblings have scattered. Um, but it, it's, it's kind of a, a quintessential sort of, you know, immigrant story in some ways. Um, I guess the strange part is that we actually moved back to Pakistan for a little bit. But, <laughs> you know, my folks, they, they come from Pakistan. They settle in New York, in New York City. They're in Brooklyn. And then, you know, they move out to Long Island. Um, and it's it's like a pretty traditional Gen 1 migration pattern. And now I'm getting older and I try to convince my parents to move back to Brooklyn because, you know, I, you know we've bu I've built a life for myself there, a community, and I want them to be a part of it. And they're like, no, what do you mean? We got out. We got out of Brooklyn. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but um, it, it, it's, it's nice to have them nearby. Um, so I, I got into this, this, this organizing life um, Pretty recently, if you think about it, um, around the Trump election is when I, like so many other people all over the country, um, was activated. And for me, it was it was sort of a response to things that had been like floating around in my head for many years now. 
you know, I, I, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Muslim, I'm in America, um, and I'd been watching the electoral landscape shift for the last sort of six years before that, starting in 2010, maybe that's when I first started paying attention, maybe it has been going on forever, um, and that was just when I first noticed it, but it seemed like this Tea Party thing was happening on a congressional level, and I was watching those midterms, and there were these people that were running, and they were running and they were saying like, oh, we're gonna make a list, we're gonna put people in camps, we're gonna do this, that, and it was just extremely horrific. It was very scary. And um, back then, I used to think to myself like, I, oh my God, I, I wouldn't do well in a camp. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, cause like, you know, I'm Muslim because you know, I am Muslim, but I wasn't, I'm not like a great Muslim by like, on, on, on by a rubric. And I was like, oh man, I would not do well in a camp. The other Muslims are just going to be so unhappy. <laughs> They're going to like take all the rage out on me because everyone's in this fucked up situation. Um, I was like, oh, I'm not going to do well. What do I do? And I used to ask my friends, like, would you hide me? Would you hide me? Like if, if they co start coming for me and like, cause I, I just don't want to go to a camp. And a lot of my friends would say, yeah, sure. Um, the thing is though, I would want to like, you know, you, my family's in Kentucky and that's probably not a great safe place to hide. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> um, but no, but for years that, that was sort of what was going on in my head. Um, and I, I was, I was increasingly becoming pretty disengaged with a traditional political system too. And I was just reading a lot and, you know, there's, there was, we were learning more and more that all oh, Muslim communities are being surveilled. Um, everyone's all up in your phone. Um, there are all these, you know, terrible things happening with people being whisked away, etc. And um, I, I just, I, I started becoming really paranoid politically because I felt like I didn't fit in with a mainstream. Obama is president. I'm supposed to be somewhat happy, but I'm like having these strange thoughts that, like, well. I don't actually know if what's going on right now is going to help me or my people or people in my, 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 my potential situation. And um, so I started reading about, you know, you know anarchist text, anarcho-syndicalist stuff, socialist stuff, um, tycoonist. Like, it was just getting very strange. But um, I was just doing all this reading on my own because I didn't feel comfortable that I could really share these almost un-American thoughts that I was having um, with other people, given what we know was going on. And um, so I eventually I just completely disengaged from all political life, paying attention, blah, blah, blah. And then that brings us to 2016. Trump is, you know, the nominee. He's in all likelihood, you know, um, I mean, it, it wasn't looking good for a And then... It's the day after the election. Trump has now won. And um, I like a lot of my fears from that 2010 era, the Tea Party has gotten itself, you know, the White House. Um, and it started, it became very real for me. But a lot of that, like reading and thinking about like political philosophy or what could be a better system stopped being an abstraction. I didn't want it to be abstract anymore. And... I just decided that, okay, you know what? I'm not gonna go to a camp. Like the question had stopped, start, stopped being for my friends, like, will you hide me? Now I was like, okay, 
I'm just not going to go to a camp. So you start playing that out. And it's like, okay, that doesn't look good. If like somebody's coming for you, your people, they're trying to put you in a camp, they're going to take you away unless like, all right, that's not going to play out well. I'm going to die. Um, so I need people. So I need people to fight with me. So my question ended up being to my friends now, like, oh, will you fight with me? And it was because I'm not going to a camp. So who's going to stop? Who's going to who's going to help? And that's when I realized that, OK, you need a lot of people for this sort of like thought process. And um, that same alienation that I felt from like the federal government and detachment from things that are happening on a national level, it it sort of just disappeared. And I was like, all right, the easiest thing for me to do is start organizing in my community, start organizing in my neighborhood. Because I can, I, there's tangible power there, right? There are relationships to build. There are, you know, whether it's a pothole or it's a city council election, there are neighbors you talk to about specific issues and you build trust and you build relationships. And you start scaling that idea out. And I was like, okay, that's what I need to do. And that's sort of when you and I met. It was like that neighbor, I saw a flyer for I think it was like some meeting that was happening. Might I don't think it said this, but it was like, "Are you disenchanted?" Might have been like what it said on the flyer. I was like, "Yeah, I am." That's me. That's I, definitely I, me. You said this meeting's at a church. It's like, oh yeah, great, perfect. I, I do need a divine light to shine on what's going on right now. Let's do it. Um, but but that that's 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 how I that's how I sort of found my way into this this work. Wow, that, that I mean that that's incredible. Um, just hearing more about you and and hearing like about your family and i mean i want to ask like something really personal like how how hard was it growing up muslim for you like did you did you experience a lot of racism and bullying or or you know just like how what like did you experience did you know that you were different when you grew when you were growing up I knew that I was different because, well, we kept halal. So that's like a daily reminder yeah. that, you know, you, you, you can't eat the same food as the other people. Um, unless it's fish or vegetarian stuff or kosher stuff. Um, so, but, but just knowing that that was something, a daily action, you know, everybody eats and like the way you eat is different. Um, so that 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 was a thing that was constantly always present. And there's also just just knowing that, you know, you watch, you know, as an immigrant, you know, this wasn't even like a Muslim thing. It's like as an immigrant, you watch some of these kids growing up, like the way they talk to their parents and you're just like, oh, OK, I, I couldn't do that. Like. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> feel that. I always like saw like a lot of my white friends growing up, like the way they would speak to their parents. But if I ever spoke that way to my mom, she would kill me. Right. She, she would. She would. And I would me. deserve it. And I would deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, there's definitely that that kind of knowledge that that you're different. Um, yeah. But like in, in terms of being Muslim, I know I like you know right when. 9-11 happened after that there was this sort of chilling effect i don't know if i had a birthday for a long time after that um, right because you were born on 9 uh, right um wow. but and but there was also this sort of like you, you 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 everybody knew somebody that 
had said the wrong thing in front of the wrong person and then they were whisked away for a little while. There were all these sort of like myths. They were like mythic stories that were like floating around and you were never like more than one or two degrees of separation. I don't know anybody that's one or two degrees of separation for somebody that actually was, you know, whisked away to some, you know, black site or whatever. And like you had, you heard these stories and you know, I mean, my it's folks, terrifying. it was terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah. And like my folks would always just say, hey, you know, you just got to you keep your head down. You study, you focus. This is all going to blow over. And you try to be the model minority. Right. And um, you really try. It that that it's so similar, I feel, to my experience. So first of all, you're mentioning a food. That is very real to me, too, because growing up, um, when I went to school, like, and many of my other Asian-American friends, you know, they would bring, like, all sorts of, you know, Asian food, right, to, to school. And it, people would complain that it was smelly, oh that it was God. icky, oh that it was God. gross. And so you familiar. I know. And you immediately know that you are different because everyone has their peanut butter jelly sandwiches and then I have my rice with fish sauce. Right. <laughs> Sticking up the entire cafeteria with my fish sauce. Right. <laughs> my Vietnamese fish sauce. So, like, that was really real for me growing up. And, you know, when I look at the history of Vietnamese refugees coming here to America... Um, you know, we were once not accepted here. Um, much of the rhetoric that we hear from the right wing, you know, very racist, xenophobic population is with Muslim people, it's that, oh, we can't let them in because, you know, they're terrorists. And uh, who knows, like, they, they, a terrorist might slip in and, and, and hurt America, right? That's what they were saying about Vietnamese refugees when they were coming here. They were saying, oh, um, there, there could be a Vietnamese communist spy that is coming in with these refugees and they could be plotting against America. Um, and like, you know, they were saying obviously all the typical things that are said ag against refugees and immigrants that we're dirty and we're criminals and they don't trust us. Um, so, the Vietnamese people being a relatively new, right, population of, of um, refugees and immigrants to this country, I feel like a lot of the Vietnamese community um, definitely, like, can feel this, the, the similarities between what they went through and what a lot of Muslims are going through and a lot of Syrians and a lot of people who are fleeing Right, um, seeking asylum, people from South America and Central America who are trying to seek asylum here. Um, there's a lot of similarities between um, the experiences that we've gone through. And it took many, many years for the Vietnamese community to make their place here. Um, and there's so many interesting stories about, you know, like there's this one story that. I actually just saw a documentary about um, there was a little tiny fishing village in Texas. It was like just outside of Houston. And um, these Vietnamese fishermen, they came, you know, to make a new life in America. And they did what they did best, which is fish. Um, but because they entered the, 
industry and then all the white people that had been there for their whole lives um, saw these newcomers, you know, come and take away their business, tensions got really heated. And this, this, was, this was going on like, you know, several decades ago. Um, but the KKK like, came to this tiny little town in Texas to drive out the Vietnamese people. Um, so when, when I mentioned earlier about, you know, your parents telling you like to just be quiet and to study and to not make a fuss, I mean, that's what Asians were told, right? To be the model minority, to not speak up and to just do as we're told and be quiet. And that's why we're seen as the minority that other minorities should try to emulate, um, which is very, very, uh, this is, uh, the model minority myth is a complete white supremacy, like co social construct. Like it doesn't even exist. There's no such thing. Like we as Asian Americans, we experience racism and we've experienced violence and we've experienced white supremacy. and. That whole myth is literally to pit us against other minorities. Absolutely. It's to divide us. Absolutely. But I always say, that's why I always like to point out our similarities and in, in, in why we need to be standing in solidarity with other immigrant communities and other people of color and other you know, other other just people, <laughs> people in general that are fighting for their lives, right? Um, so that's why I really felt for the the plight of Muslim Americans. Um, I still do, um, being you know what we've been seeing with Donald Trump and his policies against Muslims, and that Muslim ban was just. I mean, it's it's so frustrating, right? It's so right. frustrating, and I can't imagine, um, you know. How, how it would feel if if I were in that situation right now, just like constantly fearing for your life. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, this idea that I used to internalize that, oh, America is kind of just like uh, this, this big old fraternity. And every group of newcomers goes through this hazing process, and then eventually the dust settles and everything's okay. But superficially that that might make sense but in reality first of all nothing is ever actually okay this is a foundationally like structurally unequal society that is still deeply white supremacist and needs to change and it, it, it's it's second like you have you can't even if that was true you don't have to accept that like it, it's not an okay way for 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 you know immigrant communities and minorities to be moving through this space and you know you talk you, you mentioned the the muslim ban and so much of what we've been dealing with over the last few years has been the the progressive space the immigrant rights space has just been on this defensive we're just constantly fighting back against like these sorts of atrocities but what we really need to be doing what we're not doing right now as much as we could be is doing you know affirmative stuff like at the end of the day, you know, you mentioned, you know, model minorities, like we need to decriminalize border crossings. Um, we need to do all sorts of things to just like get back to a space where we are building a society that's actually welcoming to immigrants and not just constantly on our heels. When I when I hear like the 
the other side speak about what's happening at our borders right now, you know, their first reaction is always, well, um, you know, they shouldn't be doing this illegally. They shouldn't be crossing the border illegally. Well, first of all, they're not. Um, they're actually, even there's cases where they're properly trying to seek asylum here and they're still being ripped apart from their families. And I just don't understand. To me, it feels so inhumane to justify ripping apart families like that because of a simple, well, uh, they, they, they shouldn't be doing it. It's illegal. Well, it wasn't illegal until 1996, right? right. Like before that, it was yeah. not illegal to cross a border. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, borders a, are all some man-made social construct anyway. Right. So arbitrary. I mean, we never had borders before, right? We just, we created borders in a, in a sense. Yeah. But I mean, I just don't, I can't. I can't I can't reason with people that say stuff like that. Like I, can't, I I don't know how to. I don't know how to respond to to that. Like how do you how do you in, like inject humaneness into somebody? It's not possible, right? So what can we do? Like what what do you think like it, you know, what can we do to mobilize? Um I mean, obviously there's going to be certain people that have these feelings towards immigrants and and have these feelings of we need to close our borders right um so, so how do we mobilize around that it's it sounds like like you said like such a, a wall like a little figuratively <laughs> and literally right i mean it, it feels like it feels like like it's like it's it's so difficult to even try to talk with people like that or reason with people like that. I don't know how to. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> um, you know, I I actually don't spend too much time trying to convince yeah people that are already that have their heels dug in on you know their own racism. I feel like that's a lot of white people's job is to undo the racism in white communities. Mm, um, good like point. what I want, what I like to spend our time doing is, I mean, I, I think about this just in New York state's context, there are three and a half million eligible voters that are um, either immigrants or the children of immigrants. That is a substantial set of people. And we're not just talking in New York City, right? We're talking in Long Island. We're talking in yeah. Buffalo. We're talking all over the Rust Belt. A lot of what's holding down the economy um, all over New York State is is, is 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 the immigrants and the refugees that have been coming in and starting small businesses and really building community. And I think that what we need to be moving towards is a space where immigrants don't think of themselves as an interest group because, you know, when we're talking numbers here, we're talking like 20, 25 percent of the state. Like these are very, very large numbers. And um, we need to switch from being an interest group to being a constituency. We need to be something that makes or breaks um, electoral victories for um, these people that are running for office. And obviously, you know, I think you and I both agree that um, electoral power is not the only form of power. And in fact, it is a very limited form of power in itself. But 
why should we ever leave any power on the table? Mm-hmm. You know that the right is not leaving any power at the table. Um, so we need to get that. We need to have our power in the streets. We need to have power in the ballot box. We need to have power everywhere. And so a lot of the work that I want to do and that I do right now and NYIC does and the Democratic Socialists of America, this other organization that I'm a part of, do is activate the unactivated um, and, you know, go for the low propensity, the disengaged, and then just bring them into the process. Because at the end of the day, as long as we're better organized, I do believe that we are, you know, outnumbering the right. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I always, I always, you know, pose the same question to a lot of my colleagues and, um, you know, my answer has always been, we can't change the minds of those of that other side, right? We're not gonna. That is just a waste of time. It's a waste of breath, even trying to talk to them. Um, I think our efforts need to really focus on those who stayed home on voting day, um, and we have an election coming up. So this is gonna be a really important time for everyone to work together to get to mobilize those voters. Um, so you mentioned Democratic Socialists of America. Um, they're known as DSA, right? Can you tell me more about them? Like, tell me what, like, how you got involved with them and what kind of work they're doing right now. Absolutely. So around the time that you and I met, around when I was first um, getting activated around local organizing, um, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to the Democratic Socialists of America. And he said, oh, come to this meeting. Um, and I said, okay, sure. Uh, I go to this meeting. On my way back from that meeting, um, they had mentioned that they were going to start an electoral working group. At this point, the DSA was a pretty small organization, but one that was growing very rapidly. Um, the DSA sort of has been a political group that's been around for you know many, many years. But... Uh, their numbers really blew up when Bernie Sanders was running for office. Grand- Woo, Grandpa Bernie. <laughs> um, and um, after that, um, then they had another bump after the Trump election. And so at this point in New York, uh, New York City, that chapter was numbering around you know, 1,500, 1,700 people. Yeah. And they were starting to get pretty big. Um, so I went to this meeting, and we... They, we, uh, you know, I experienced democracy for the first time, honestly, in my life, unless you're a member of a like union. Real democracy? Real democracy. <laughs> like, you know, not people. Not a fake one, not an illusion. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was so empowering. So they were like, all right, like, here's a proposal. And somebody pitched this thing. They were like, I think, I think at this meeting, they wanted to create a socialist feminist working group. Mm-hmm. And someone came up to the front of this big room with all these people, made their pitch, and then everybody they were like do we want to create this thing or not and there was some debate around that i believe and then like all of a sudden we were voting to like create something and that was honestly i think that was the first time i ever really experienced that and it was so thrilling um and so you're and 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 note you're voting without any 
outside influence. <laughs> right? <laughs> no one's right. paying you to vote this way, right? No, no, no. <laughs> it's volunteer. Oh, wow. That is a real democracy. That's a radical wow. idea. Radical. Yeah. yeah. That's such a radical idea. Seriously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I was on the ride back on the train. I was heading back on the subway to my place. And um, I someone had mentioned that we're also going to create, I think it might have been in this meeting, they also voted to create an electoral working group. And um, so I'm on the way back on the train and I run into somebody and I never know, met this person before, but it's, it's, it's like a white lady who's speaking in fluent Arabic with like a, a, a young Arab kid. And I'm just like floored that this is going on around you speak me. Right? Arabic too? I don't, oh, I speak okay. Urdu. I'm Pakistani. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're Pakistani. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just, I mean, I, I went to Muslim school in, when I, when I was going to school in New York city. And, um, so I, I know what Arabic sounds like, even though I was in remedial Arabic. Um, I was never very good at it, but yeah. I, I know what it sounds like. And, um, I was just so impressed. So I interrupt our conversation because I'm still, you know, riding this like wave of just like, Oh my God, I just voted for the first time. Um, and, uh, I get this, I get I get this person's card and, and she gives me her card. It's uh, Kayla Santisfoso, um, who Kayla. it says you know um, deputy director Arab American Association on her card, and um, but she's like it's crossed out and she's like I don't work here anymore but this is my contact information. I was like okay great, so I go home. Um, I. I take this card, I don't think about it for a while, and then the next two weeks later, I am you know, going to a uh, electoral working group meeting, the first electoral working group meeting. And at this meeting, DSA in New York City is teaching everybody about what is city council. Um, because this is 2017, elections were coming up, and you know, I didn't know what city council was, um, and a lot of people didn't. And we start one of the part part of the program was us just like throwing names on a board of people we think would be you know good candidates for office in our area, and I know nothing about electoral politics at this point, but I I I, I just volunteer I would just volunteer Kayla Santosuoso on this, and I'm like they're like why because like, she's so badass. I mean yeah, but I don't Shout know that yet. Kayla. I was just like <laughs> I was like okay, you got we got a we got a white lady that speaks Arabic. <laughs> Like Bay Ridge is basically, you know, it's it's Italian and it's Arab, and I'm like, I think this could be the change we need to see in the world. Yes, like definitely. she could be the one. <laughs> um, so I throw her name on the board. Um, afterwards, um, mind you, I still have never spoken to this person before. This is all based off one conversation <laughs> on a subway that on I interrupted. <laughs> and so um, after that meeting, um, someone's like, "Okay, you should follow up with this person." So I go, I have coffee with her. At the end of us just, you know, talking to each other, um, I'm like, okay, so, you know, city council is coming up and uh, do you, and then she just like cuts me off and she's like, all right, I'm going to stop you right there, but we do have a candidate. I can't tell you his name, but, um, and then she proceeds to tell me it's a Arab priest or like, you know, an Arab minister. And that's literally all the information I needed to like figure out who it was. And she was like, I can't be the candidate, but I am going to be someone's campaign manager. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go look it up and it's, it's, it's Father Khadr, um, Khadr team. And I'm like, wow, this guy, you know, th that's the other side of that Punnett square. It's like white lady that speaks Arabic or a Palestinian minister. Like this could be it. So I was like, okay, 
this person sounds great. I look him up. He, you know, he, he's, he's basically been living the movement for his entire life. Um, really incredible man. And um, so I go back to DSA at the next meeting. I'm like, okay, I, I met with them. This is the person I think. And then we just start sort of having these back and forth conversations. And then DSA's first electoral campaign that we throw it down in after um, the after um, Bernie Sanders is the Father Father team campaign, um, and we endorse him. And then from there, DSA you know just throws down super hard. We don't have a lot of money, but we do have a lot of bodies, and like we have this incredible democratic process that generates all of this buy-in for a candidate. So you know. On the first day petitioning launch that we did, I think there were 150 people out in Bay Ridge from all over the city wow. knocking on doors for Father K. Wow. Um, one of the one of the um, other candidates even like reached out and said like it was just like a cryptic like I heard you had 150 people out here. <laughs> like, I was just like, yeah, we did. Is that a lot? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's an army. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then from that campaign, we ended up creating the South Brooklyn branch of DSA in New York City. Um, so then I helped found that along with like another great group of people. And then um, I was our steering committee representative. And then I got involved with our actual steering committee, was elected co-chair of that um, for New York City. And then most recently, um, I had the honor of being elected to the National Political Committee of DSA. Wow. As well. Oh my but God. yeah, I mean, it just starts with the local and you just keep scaling up. Yeah. yeah. I, it, I mean, I already said this earlier, but you're so impressive. <laughs> you're extremely kind. And yeah. I, you know, no, I mean, I'm not. I'm you're, just having your, you're having your, you're having your, 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 your photo shows. <laughs> like uh, you got gallery openings and you're like, oh, you're impressive. No, like, <laughs> you are so impressive. Like seriously. I mean, that's I, I, so I mean, when I first heard of DSA, um, I was thinking like, yes, this is definitely a group that I, I, I could get behind. Uh, but I knew that they were gonna be really scrutinized with an iron hammer because when people hear the word socialism, they immediately, especially Americans, right, with their, with their I'm capitalist, nothing else, like capitalism forever, capitalism number one. You know, it's like when they hear anything socialism, they immediately like freak out, right? So like just for people who are listening to this podcast, like could you give us just a little breakdown really of what socialism actually means, right? Like people think communism and it's not the same. Right. So could you give like a little breakdown yeah. for people to maybe better understand what socialism means? Yeah. So, you know, as, as democratic socialists, what we believe is there should just be a lot more democratic ownership of um, our means of production and of our housing, of our health care. And, you know, in tangible terms, what that means is we're out there fighting for um Medicare for all. We're out there fighting for housing. I don't believe that anybody should have to pay rent. Like, I think it's ridiculous that that's a thing. Um, you know, in New York, people are paying over 50% of their income to rent. Like, these things are completely egregious. You can't have, there shouldn't be billionaires. Um, you know, w we believe that 
you know, that unions need to be, you know, a stronger presence and that the capitalist class is just constantly profiting off of, you know, immigrants, poor people, working class people, and just getting richer and richer while we don't see any dividends. And that's just completely unjust. So that's what we're trying to do is fight for a world where healthcare is free, housing is available to everyone, education is available to everyone, and it's free. You know, just the basic dignities that people deserve. And these aren't radical ideas. No, you know? they're not, because other countries have adopted these ideas, right? right. And countries like Denmark, the happiest country in the world or whatever, right? They, they have socialist policies in their country, and well, that's probably why they're the happiest country in the world. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, but then people, people then, you know, like will counter that and say, well, because they're a small country, it wouldn't work for America. America is too big. I, don't, I think that's all a little crap, but like, you know. Um, I mean, if America, you know, stopped spending all of, a lot of its money just yeah. bombing other countries, yes. you know, yeah. we could you could we could turn some of that energy inwards and, you know, and get get health care for yeah, everybody. Spend it on education <laughs> yeah. and health care, right. things like we really need, right. you know, even at the local level right now, like New York is going through um that did you hear the news about the new jails that that's right are, yeah so they're closing records but they're building four new jails or something like that it's just so ridiculous and of course these are going to hurt the immigrant communities um so chinatown where we're at right now is one of the community the immigrant communities that will be affected by the construction of these jails um Queens, right? Kew Gardens in Queens is another uh, immigrant-populated neighborhood that will be affected by the jails. And it's, it, it doesn't make sense to me why we can't pour that money into education and health care and fixing the MTA, maybe. <laughs> like, that's a great idea, you know? Let, let's fix the subway system so that more people can use it. Um, it's it just, I, I don't, it, it, it really angers me, especially because whenever these kinds of um, laws are passed, it always affects immigrant communities. It always affects communities of color. Um, and it, it's, it's really frustrating. Yeah, it's so frustrating because you think like we have a Democrat mayor, but I don't know, Bill de Blasio has been very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I Yeah, I think like, you know, even when we I think something that we all have to be cognizant of when we decide to invest all this energy into um, people that we want to get elected and we want to see them in office. I think it's recognizing that, you know, both parties, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, are fundamentally the parties of the haves not the have-nots yeah. the people who are able to you know you were joking about influence earlier and buying it and voting that way and that that's what that's what you know that's what a lot of electoral politics is, is yes and i think that's why it's so important for us when we're building bases of people and we're giving the labor of our immigrant communities giving our hard-earned money over to candidates even if they're our own recognizing that you know, 
we are organizing around issues. We're not organizing around candidates. Yes. So our that. base, our unity will exist whether or not this candidate, once they're an elected, decides to, you know, forsake the people that got them elected in the first place. A lot of people ask me about accountability. They're like, oh, you know, your DSA, the immigrant groups, you know, you have this whole blue wave. You have all these extremely progressive people that have been elected recently. And they're like, how are you going to hold people accountable? And I'm like, there's really only one kind of accountability. It's unelecting people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's being willing to putting all of your energy into this one particular tactic to get power for your people. Mm -hmm. And then knowing that it is okay for you to move away from that person and onto somebody else if that's what's necessary for you to continue to build power for your people. Definitely. I, t I, I agree with that. Um, I want to ask then, so, you know, we have election coming up and uh, who are you, who are you siding with? <laughs> who are you leaning towards? I'm, I'm leaning hardcore towards Bernie. Okay. Me too, I, I feel me like too. that shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> no, that's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, some people say Warren, Elizabeth uh, Warren. Absolutely. Um, and she's also a very great uh, candidate. I, you know, I would. I would be happy with Warren as well, but um, Bernie to me has just spoken more like, and he's just hit home for me more when he speaks about the issues and, and just his history of fighting for all these That's things. Right. He's That's been doing right. it for a long yep. ass time. Yep. He's been in this game for decades that's right so you know that he's not trying to just like jump on the f progressive like bandwagon like he's that's been right. doing this f before we were all born yeah which is crazy and yeah. like to me you know bernie bernie sanders says that he he's got a beef with billionaires and i do too and i think that that's a message that really resonates with a lot of people yes, um like yes. it, it's it's absolutely absurd that um that people exist at that level while there are people that go hungry and people that, you know, go bankrupt because, you know, they had to get treatment for cancer. It's absolutely absurd. I think the, uh, I think the Walmart family, they make like some, something like, I don't know, like $50,000 an hour or something. I don't know. Something egregious. Like it was like tens of thousand dollars an hour is what they make. And you want to I mean, know who, who needs that kind of I money? Know, I know. And you know what Walmart employees are voting for? They're voting for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yes. That's right. That's right. That's everything <laughs> you got to know about this election. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm I, I'm definitely rooting for Bernie. Um, I have been since 2016, to be honest. But um, yeah, I I think that he's the only one at, out of all the candidates to me that will really fight for working people and for communities of color. And um, you know, and we need to we we really need to fight this next election because we need to undo the shit that Trump has done. I'm sorry. I, I I just I I don't mean to curse. I just get really angry when I think about you know all the images that we've seen at the borders, right? I, I it makes me tear up because it th it makes me think about my own family a lot. It makes me think about like how when my family came to this country you know how hard it must have been i really got lucky in that i didn't have to experience any of that i wasn't even born yet um so imagine though just the feelings of 
having being forced to come to a new country that you don't know, you don't know anyone, you don't know la- the language at all, and the first thing you get is hate and and anger and violence and you know it, it's it's not what this country is supposed to be, right? But it is because this country was built on slavery and white supremacy. Um, but we all talk about how America is a country, um, uh, you know, the, where you can achieve the American dream, where you can come here and make yourself uh, into something. Um, and that's not true for millions of people in this country. It's just not true. And you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna really fight Trump, you know, the, all the Democratic debates that we've been hearing, all they talk about is how we're gonna beat Trump, how we're gonna beat Trump. If we're going to really beat Trump, we need to go with someone that is that that is just as progressive and radical as he is in a sense, right? Because why why did Trump win this past election? It's because people wanted something different, right? That's what they say. They they wanted something different. They were they were tired of the establishment. The establishment always just puts more money into their own pockets. They only care about the rich. We need someone that's going to fight for the little guy. Of course they don't know that Trump is clearly not the little guy um but that's like a lot of people's thought processes during the past election um little did they know that bernie is actually the one that will fight for the little guy or the little women or the little people right whatever you identify as um like bernie is the actual one that will fight for for those communities um so I think I think it's it, this election obviously is going to be very very important. Um, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's saying the same thing. It's going to be really important. Um, but it really is because if we're going to change the narrative about what America is as a country and what we represent and what we are about, um, we need to go with someone right that will that will have those values that we care about. And right now, to me, uh, Bernie is is the guy. Is the guy. He's the guy that that I feel like him, you know, can can change the narrative and change where we're going. So, um, yeah, I I I'm I, I'm right with you, man. Like I I I'm so proud of all the work that you've been doing. Seriously, like every time I hear of you, I, I mean the fact, you know. Okay, I have to tell the audience uh, a story. So I was actually contacting NYIC for a guest for the podcast, and I was just like scrolling through the site and looking through the about page and looking at the staff, and I'm like, oh, holy crap, a doula? Like, I didn't even know you worked there. And it was like a serendipitous like coincidence that I was trying to get someone from the organization to be a guest, and you happened to work there. Um, so... I'm really glad that you came today. I, I really am. I'm I'm thrilled to to have you. I'm thrilled that we got to talk more and you know discuss these issues. I mean, I think we could talk for so much longer, right? Um, I mean, I feel like yeah, we hours. totally could. Yeah, we yeah. could probably talk for hours. Maybe one a, a special episode in the future. <laughs> um, so I'd like to just kind of wrap things up and. 
um, you know, maybe you can let like listeners know where to find more information about NYIC and DSA and all the other things that you're <laughs> involved with and yourself, of course. So yeah, please share. Um, so folks can find information about the uh, New York Immigration Coalition uh, at n- www.nyic.org. And you can find information about DSA at, I want to say, www.dsausa.org. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Abdullah M. Yunus. At, that's it. All right. Awesome. Um, thank you again for being here. This was this was really enlightening. And... Um, I hope that um, everyone listening took away a little bit from from this episode and hopefully we can have more compassion for each other. I mean, I think that's the key, right, is having compassion and empathy and just being a, a decent human being towards others. Um, I think that's what the whole immigration crisis comes down to is just be a good person um thank so, you so much Cindy. yes i'm so glad again that you are here thank you abdullah and thank you everyone for joining us at activist nyc the podcast your support is much appreciated activist nyc the podcast is presented in partnership with listening party the creators of family fm follow the crew on instagram at listening party presents and at canal street market be sure to follow Activist NYC on Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at Activist NYC. Tune in next time.